Hi everyone. Um, before we start the episode, this is Editing Hannah here. Um, I know that it sounds like nothing's going on in this episode because, um, you know, this uh, this one's been recorded about a month before the COVID-19 pandemic um, actually started to influence my daily life. And in particular because we're talking about countries like Italy where it's been going on uh, for much longer than here in the Netherlands where it's being recorded. Um, but yeah, full disclosure, uh, it's been this episode has been on the shelf for a while, so COVID-19 wasn't really an issue yet, that's why we don't mention it. Um, with that out of the way, um, I do strongly want to encourage you to consider supporting this podcast through buymeacoffee.com slash sounds because more than ever, you know, with work grinding to a hold and all that, and me battling um, mental health issues, um, I could really use your help. Um, okay, well, with uh, that said, let's dive into the episode. Thanks. Content warning, this podcast contains mentions of xenophobia, racism, war, and anti-Semitism. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, You're listening to Queer Sounds. My name is Hannah, pronouns they, them. And from our lovely detour past Jamaica, we're going uh, back to Europe. Continue our European tour. We've talked about Poland. We've talked about Finland. And today is what I feel like mostly going to be a Mediterranean-focused episode. Greece, Italy, the whole shebang. I'd like to welcome Joel to the studio. Joel, welcome. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, introduce yourself a little bit. Your pronouns, what you do in daily life, how you how, how you got involved with this. All right, yeah. So uh, my name is Joel, uh, pronouns he and him. Uh, I'm, I was a student at Utrecht University, a language and culture student. Um, and I work as a as the head of the waiters in a, in a restaurant in Rotterdam. All right. Um, is, there a, is there an overlap there? Language and cultures, uh, yeah, yeah, meeting dif- different cultures while while yeah. waiting waiting tables. <laughs> well, I mean, it does give you the opportunity to sort of interact with people from other countries, which is quite nice, um, and sort of practice your languages at the same time, which I'm also doing at university. So uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I reckon you just you do your waiting job for the sake of being able to pay bills, not actually because of your study. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, mostly, yeah. You also study cultural uh, anthropology, right? Or that was yes. a field of interest. Yeah, that was one of my um, one of the courses that I did when I was uh, for my Erasmus in uh, in Madrid in Spain. Uh, but I feel like that there um, there's a lot more overlap with queer cultural together in cultural anthropology than there is waiting tables. Uh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> All right, enlighten me a little bit. What did you do in Madrid? Um, so in Madrid, I um, it was from part of my Erasmus uh, program, and um, they had a really interesting courses called uh, symbolic anthropology, like how a society symbolizes certain cultural practices and what it means. And uh, one of them was also gender anthropology, which I thought was really nice. Right. Um, and new forms of family and, and parenthood, and a sort of look at how um, how as a culture, how as a society, you sort of. Uh, make meaning of a group of people eventually like I mean you've got uh, a mom and a dad traditionally uh, and then the children and they sort of go into the argument mostly 
of what it means for children if you go to dads, to mums, or if you go a, a composition of family. Um, and that was one of the most important things I've ever done. Of, of really opened my eyes in that perspective. Do you feel like it would have been would have made a difference now that you've done it in Spain rather than the Netherlands or wherever? Yes, very much so actually, because I always felt that in the Netherlands we were very much in in one of the top positions um, in having to do with gender studies. You know, like I thought we we were the first country to legalize gay marriage, and I thought that we made a lot of progress, maybe in comparison to to other countries. Um, and then I got to Spain and I sort of realized, oh, damn, that is actually not correct. Yeah. You know, that seems to be a recurring thing because um, I do feel like I'm in a position of privilege being from the Netherlands. But it's it's been a recurring theme here that people in the Netherlands pride themselves for being very, very progressive. Whereas because we did legalize game, uh, same sex marriage back in 2001, people are being less critical of themselves. Yeah. Um, and with that, countries like Spain or wherever, the progress is actually coming along more quickly because they're being more critical of themselves. Yeah, exactly. I sort of feel like in the Netherlands, we did the, the same sex marriage thing and we think like, all right, that's done. We've done it, you know. Yeah. Um, and we sort of forgot to look around us. And especially in the European Union, we, we sort of forgot how to um, how how to look at other countries and what they might do, you know. And I think... That especially in the case of Spain, there's a lot actually to be learned. You know, for example, in Spain, it's very much possible for a gay man to uh, to donate blood, um, not having withheld sex for four months, I think it is, which is actually the case in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, so those are one of those, you know, like very maybe for for the whole of society insignificant things, but for especially the LGBT communities, like really big steps, um, progressive steps, you know, forward, and that sort of puts us in a weird perspective because on one hand we do pride ourselves with being so open-minded and in one way we are however in the other way we sort of do feel that because of this our culture is in a constant danger let's just call it what it is xenophobia yeah. and racism it also comes from a sense of superiority like well mostly i mean especially when you look at what our uh, ex Finance minister said, Jeroen uh, Dijsselbloem, about the uh, about the Mediterranean countries, Portugal, Spain, Italy and, and Greece, saying, uh, you know what, I'm not surprised that you come to the European Union to ask for money if you spend all your money on, on women and wine, um, which prompted Spain and Portugal actually to demand that he was um, that he was sacked as the president of the Eurozone um, finance group. Um, you know, these are kind of examples of how I think in, in maybe a general way, we tend to look at countries, especially in the southern, of, in, in the south of Europe, um, in their way of handling state affairs, you know, or like community affairs or how they treat their, their own people in general, you know, which is actually funny because Ireland was also one of the of the countries that, um, that asked the European Union for help and he didn't mention that at all. Yeah, northern European bullshit. Oh, <laughs> oh. Uh, I feel... I tend to f I tend to get into politics too fast with this podcast, so let's break it up a little bit. Yeah, let's sure. get some music going on. <laughs> I mean, we'll get more into politics later because of this track, but let's play it first. <laughs> Λάψε καρδιά μου χάθη το γελάστο παιδί 
Είχε άντρια, είχε θάρρος και όνια θα θρυνώ Το πηδικτό του βήμα, το γέλιο το φρικτό Ανάθεμα την ώρα κατάρα στη στιγμή Σκοτώσαν οι δίκοι μας το γέλαστο παιδί I can't understand a word of what they're singing, but <laughs> I'm definitely aware that this is a very political track. It is a very political track, yeah. I reckon that's not why you picked this. Uh, no, actually not. It's um, it's one of the songs that I listened to a lot when I was um, when I was in Greece uh, at my uncle's uh, restaurant. Um, and this is one of the songs actually he put up a lot, I think, because he liked it himself a lot as well. And it's one of the songs that st- that struck me the most because the first line of the song is "Itam proito avgusto," which means uh, it was the first of August, which happens to be my birthday as well. And oh, they're singing about a laughing boy, which was my nickname in, in for my uncle. I mean, um, the boy that laughs is like the literal translation of the title, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So how does this actually work? Because I came across several translations or supposed translations of the title and some say it's the laughing child laughing boy laughing girl is that because of the greek language yeah if um the word child in greek is topedi and it doesn't really have a gender right so it's it's neuter i think the official term is um so it could be either the laughing boy the laughing girl but they tend of course to translate as the laughing boy because that's Mm. more why not just the laughing child I don't know. That is language politics. I don't know because I think you know. As as a matter of fact, I think we have a very androcentric system. You know, so like the man is the center, and then right. everything that yeah. is divided from that, which is deviant from that, is 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 a woman. Is a woman. Yeah, you could have said child. I think people at that time just immediately went to boy. All right. Moving back to your personal experiences, because you <laughs> mentioned that uh, this is a song you listened to a lot in your uncle's restaurant. You've got relatives in Greece, in, in Greece, right? Yes, it's um, it's a little bit complicated because I mean, um, we've got time. Yeah. <laughs> well, my parents went to went to Greece a couple of times before I was born, and they made really good friends with uh, with whom I now call my uncle. And um, the last time they saw they saw each other before I was born was when he said, you know what, next time I hope that um, you have a chat with you because that would be a lot of fun, you know. Um, and, well, the funny thing is the next time my parents went to Greece, um, they actually did bring me along. And from the first minute, like, Yanis and me, we really got along well. Uh, he was trying to teach me a lot of Greek. He was trying to, like, become part of his family as well. What age are we talking here? Uh, I think I was two when I went for the first time to to Greece, and then for the fourteen consecutive years, we've always went to the same place. Wow! Yeah, so there's a really you know really strong bond there, and um, and I think that was one of the reasons why I don't really uh, consider him just a friend, you know, because it's a family friend, obviously, but he also feels for me like he's a, a genuine uncle. Yeah, right. It's uh, that's kind of relatable because I have a similar story, not with. Greece, but with Austria, you know, just going to the same place time and time again, just uh, and our family teaching him Dutch, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. But the track itself, let's get we got to get this politics thing out of the way. I feel like yeah. just, there's a lot of there is a lot of politicized anger stuck in us. We need to we need to fend it a little bit, I think. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Um, so I think it was about a coup in 1969. Yeah, it was... Um, oh, damn. I think it was... Uh, this song originally was written by uh, Miguel Theodorakis. 
and um, it's about a, it's about a, well, like I said, a boy who who was very much loved by by his people, and eventually got killed because of the because of the army, um, and this first uh, this the song was first published in a movie, I think, which was called Zeta. Um, and that was a political drama, I think, based in France, in Paris, speaking indeed about the about the Greek uh, junta. Right. Yeah. What I got from it was the original composer wrote it. I mean, it says 1925 here, but I'm not entirely sure if that's the year the composer was born or the song was written or first published. I think it's the uh, the, the birth year of the composer. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but isn't it too that uh, so I've I've just got this random uh, page up with a bunch of trivia about the song. Because that that it's also um, kind of phonetically similar to a literal Greek translation of "He Lives," which you know adds another fun level on the on top of that. Um, yeah, it was but, a very yeah. much uh, a song about about you know like political anger and a about about what was happening at the time in Greece, and I think. Um, and I think it very much the the song sort of exists of both that feeling of unease and 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 very much anger indeed, as well as this sort of melancholy feeling to oh my god, look at this look at this child that has yeah. been murdered, you know, for political reasons. Yes, like I think there's a lot of dimensions, a lot of emotional dimensions as well to this song. I'm just so fascinated. Well, not fascinated, kind of frustrated that I didn't. I I had to actively Google this to find out anything about it. Yeah, because true. you know, us in Northern Europe, north of the Alps, we were kind of <laughs> preoccupied, I guess, with with the entire two German thing called war stuff going on. Yeah, and but also like, just on on a general level, like with you'd expect that when you're talking about European history, something like the regime of the colonels is something that that would be taught, but it isn't apparently. So in high school, you do uh, they do teach you all about the troubles, all about you know uh, the the Cold War, Germany being in two parts, the entire Soviet thing that was going on second half of of the of the twentieth century, but something like like the regime of the colonels or even the Spanish Civil War, yeah, just it's yeah. just completely glossed over. Exactly, um, I think on one hand we do have a very strong tendency to uh, focus on our own national history, which makes sense, obviously. Um, but I think that you miss at some point sort of the European perspective, which now becomes more and more and more important because of European integration into the European Union. Um, so what you get is at some point that we focus a lot of attention to certain national issues, which obviously deserve that attention. But we sort of get, we sort of forget about what happens in other countries at the same time. So, for example, when I went to Spain for the first for for my Erasmus. I very much had this image of uh, Francisco Franco, the yeah. the dictator of uh, of Spain, um, that he was very much aligned to Hitler and very much aligned to Mussolini, and I thought that all three of them sort of had the same agenda. Whereas Franco is very much a very controversial figure, not only in what he did, but also like his way of thought, because there's still people in Spain who who openly say, "I agree with Franco." Which is a very strange thing to think about for for someone like like us. I mean, we don't know the history to that details. You know? I thought so. I think because Spain wasn't as actively involved in World War Two. Exactly, they were more isolated, and you know, in in a way, the 
the fascist movement has never really been punished like it has been in yeah. Germany, you know. At some point in Germany, said like, you know what, we've got to erase all this Nazi stuff and we have to go back to what we were originally and start rebuilding from there. Like you know. taking a step back, you exactly. Talk, um, you you mentioned how we tend to focus on national issues, but it's not like to me personally, the the, the troubles in Northern Ireland were any more relevant to me than 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 the regime of colonels would be. No, yeah, you're actually quite right there. Because um, I think that is maybe a little bit of a controversial statement, but I do think that we sort of have a very strong tendency in the Netherlands to focus a lot on Anglo-Saxon. Uh, issues as well because yeah. I went when I was in high school um, for the for the national exam. I mean, had... our accent proved that. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> very much, very much so. I mean, we we focused on uh, the Dutch um, legal system, uh, Dutch history, and then the American history. So, like from seventeen seventy seven until now. Which obviously, I mean, is interesting, but one might wonder, maybe it's more useful to teach European history because, you know, I know all the, almost, almost 50 states of the United States uh, and I know the general history of the United States, yet I've never been there and the culture is very much different. Whilst if I move, I don't know, if I take a plane for two hours and I go to, I don't know, Austria, for example, or I go for four hours to to Bulgaria, um, to Bulgaria, <laughs> um, I, I know far less or even nothing, Yeah, you know. Even though um, I think, but then we're talking ancient history here, that the Netherlands and Austria were part of the same yes. shared a royal family, the Habsburgs. Yes, the Habsburgs were the most influential uh, monarchy that existed at the time. And we don't really know that much about them. Honestly, I don't really know. When I was in high school, they never really taught us anything about the, the Holy Roman Empire. Right, yeah. I mean, they did teach us about that. I, I, I mean, at least they, I know they taught me that. We talked about it a little bit. But then I just think that's that's how how graduation exams in the Netherlands were arranged at the time. I might have yeah. just been lucky. Yeah, well... Yeah, no, um, but we've completely lost track of everything. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um Let's 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 take this back to um, to the Bazooki Boys. We've never actually officially um, stated the title and um, title and artist of the song that we just played was Bazooki Boys. And how did you pronounce that? How did you pronounce the title? The title is pronounced "Do Yelasto Pedi," the laughing. Yeah, child. you're right. "Do Yelasto Pedi." Exactly. All right. Oh, that was actually quite good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, but how does uh, say two-year-old child four-year-old child anything more between two and 16 listen to such a political um politicized song well i think that my for me the first the first association that i had with the song was just that it reminded me of my holidays in greece and that it reminded me of, of the yeah but you need to have listened to it to get an association with it first yes well, so th- where did that yeah. where do those past cross um well my in the restaurant, my uncle, he always played the song out loud. So he, when you were sitting and dining, you would always hear Greek music on the background. And uh, this is one of the songs that he liked a lot as well. So he was playing right. it a lot as well. Um, and it's one of those those songs that got stuck. Um, and very much my my parents themselves liked Greek music, especially my mother. And um, and we would listen to, to, to these kind of songs together. And um, we bought this CD, which of this particular group. Um, so we sometimes played at home as well in the Netherlands. So I think that was 
yeah, one of the reasons why, why I still remember it very vividly, actually. Right. Um, that's one last thing I want to get into because when we're thinking about Greek, I tend to think Greece. I tend to think about, you know, uh, the typical Mediterranean machismo. But then when I think about the ancient Greece, uh, the uh, the ancient Greek, the, uh, that's just a bunch of half naked men who enjoy having sex with each other all the time. <laughs> it was a fun time. Yeah, I think Christianity plays a, a very big role in this. Oh yeah, without a doubt. You know, with the morals and the moral system and the way that you look at certain aspects of life, uh, I think it has a lot of good things. I think it has a lot of complicated stuff as well. Um, especially what you said, like machismo, the the thought that. A man is by virtue better than a woman, um, or that the man, for example, has to take care of the family. On the, the other way around, that the woman has to take care of the family, that the man has to take care of the financial stuff. I'd say that in Greece, as well as other Mediterranean countries, it's a little bit complicated because it's not in plain sight sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it is. So, for example, for, uh, in plain sight, it's that there is this there is this um, part of Greece which is called Mount Athos, I think. Um, which is it's it's prohibited for women to go there because it belongs to the oh, wow. to the Greek Orthodox Church, and they simply don't allow women to go there because it's a monastery and and everything. Now I think that's very very problematic because there's a, literally a, a part of your country where you cannot go, based on your gender. Mm-hmm. Um, however, on the other hand, apart from the inherent problem that it's extremely binary. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's 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 complicated. All right. I'll give you some time to think while we play yeah, our thanks. second track of the day. Um, uh, it's someone I actually heard of before, but I wasn't aware that this was that same person. We'll get about those details. We get into those details later. by the guy who represented Italy during the Eurovision Song Contest 2019 and I was not aware that that was the same person. I mean, I kind of recognized him as soon as I saw the music video, but I guess the pieces were there, I just needed to put them together a little bit better. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his name because I constantly doubt everything I pronounce in <laughs> any way. Uh, it's just Mahmood, right? Yeah, I think, yeah. He... As, as in my mood. Exactly, because that's yeah. what he wants, uh, wants his name to be associated An with. An Italian track? Um, someone who half Italian, half Egyptian, if I remember my research yes, correct- yes. correctly. Born and raised in uh, in Milano, in, in uh, Milan, 
Um, he, I, I, if I remember correctly, he never really got to know his dad so much. Um, mm-hmm. And he very much identifies with uh, with Italy, not at at all uh, with with, um, with Egypt. Yeah. However, it did became a very big issue when uh, Matteo Salvini, the uh, then prime uh, vice prime minister, um, commented on uh, on Twitter that he didn't really like his song that much, and that he preferred another guy who was actually hundred percent Italian. Let's say, yeah, which is problematic in itself as well. More ethnically white, exactly, exactly. Less uh, less Muslim, uh, what he would think. Yeah, uh, even though. I'm not, I'm not sure if if he is Muslim or whatever, but I mean it shouldn't really matter that much. Um, but nevertheless, he got uh, yeah he got into this a little bit of a controversial um, political. Uh, he got politicized by his right. own vice prime minister. Yeah, I mean that also kind of comes with um, the Eurocentric part that comes with um, the image of the Mediterranean. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Egypt is just as much Mediterranean as Italy is. Yes. As is Algeria, as is Tunisia, as is Libya. But for some reason, when you say Mediterranean, me being, you know, Northern European, or I reckon it's the same thing goes for any Canadian or American listener out there, you also just tend to think more about Spain, Greek, Italy. Yeah, you tend to be. I keep which saying is, Greece instead of Greek and state Greece and the other way around. It's frustrating. <laughs> I think um, I think one of the reasons why we do that is because of history. You know, like I mean, you could say that you were going to the Mediterranean simply because you were going to Spain. You know, yeah. and it wasn't at that time possible to to make the make the journey all the way to Morocco or to to Libya. I think I'm not sure. I think it is possible, but not for for tourists in that fashion in the same fashion. Um, yeah, I think it's also what you say. It's it's very interesting that when we think about the Mediterranean, we automatically go to uh, Spain, France, Italy, and Greece. While first of all, there's also Croatia, for example. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so there's other European countries there as well, uh, which we tend to forget, and um, very much like the northern uh, African countries and um, and the Near East. I mean, is does does Croatia count as? Um, Mediterranean, because the part between Croatia and Italy is the Adriatic, Adriatic Sea. Yeah, um, I think it very much is actually because if you think about, for example, um, the Ionian Islands in Greece, uh, they're also inside the Mediterranean basin, let's say. Um, but they're also, I think it's called the Ionian Sea. You've got the um, Aegean Sea as well. You know? So yeah, even though it's it's part of of maybe a different name inside right, this yeah. huge basin of water uh, nevertheless it's still the mediterranean you know mm-hmm. all right but then um getting on to the 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 reason why i picked this track it's our queer artist spotlight yes um i can totally see why two very good looking brown men uh, <laughs> like let's be real i'll just let you take or take it away why did you pick um mahmoud because he is beside the fact that I think that yeah he is quite good looking. Um, besides that fact, um, I think his music is really interesting because he has a very urban, a very yeah I think a, a very interesting combination that he made himself. So he he took a little bit of urban, he took a little bit of pop, and he took a little bit of those more traditional sounds of the Mediterranean. So he got, for example, in this track uh, Barrio, he went for the, the Spanish guitar and he went for that for that mood that it, it sort of is mm-hmm. known for, you know. 
Um, it does he, kind of set him apart from other just pop artists. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. And, and he, owning he, up to your heritage. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, on one hand, you could also put him in in, in a line of um, of urban and, and pop artists. But I think one of the reasons why I like him as well is that he is he's a very good artist and he sings about his personal life and he mixes that with actually his surroundings. You know, and so I think it's a very authentic authentic music yeah and i think it's also a nice change when you listen to a lot of american music in general and a lot of, of northern european music but mostly american music uh, that you have sort of sometimes have a different language and a different kind of music instruments that that go along with it right so is uh, is it uh deliberate that you picked an italian track in and of itself because <laughs> we've already talked about spain we've already talked about greece uh, greece god damn it we've already <laughs> talked about greece now italy is that why are you sticking to this theme? Um, I think mostly because um, because I'm holidays in Greece and my education in Spain, I feel very much identified with the Mediterranean in a way that it's a little bit of backstory about myself. I'm half Surinamese, half Dutch. However, I never really got and that much Surinamese um, heritage passed on to me. Um, and I mean, in one way, you do sort of notice in society that you're part this and you're part something else um and at some point i got to sort of create my own identity and that you know so i took a little bit of greece of which was authentically part of me at some point as well um and spain is part of me as well in the way that i was educated and i sort of started focusing a little bit more on the mediterranean because speaking spanish i also could understand italian to a certain extent um having done course at university now in italian as well i sort of feel like all right so i can i can get around there you know right so yeah i think i think very much those that theme of the mediterranean especially those three countries um because i have a history with them and because i speak languages to a certain extent in in each country i'm very interested in it you know right yeah it just comes from a place of personal fascination exactly. and kind of you kind of resonate with it so from there on uh what's kind of the chicken what's the egg here because i feel like you went to spain did you go to spain and found yourself or was that was that identification already there before you went there and that's why you picked spain as part of your education mm, i think i had um i had the opportunity in high school to uh to pick spanish as one of my languages and i personally liked it a lot and it was very easy for me to pronounce because it, it's very uh closely related to the greek pronunciation even though i don't think it's in any way literally related but right. it's just it happens to be very closely it has to be very similar to each other a lot of people also always ask me like how oh, do you speak spanish when i speak greek so it's that that right that connection um so i i felt that i was, I was quite well i was quite good in, in in spanish and i felt comfortable enough to actually go to spain and then do these these summer courses and i think at that point as well i sort of realized oh hey this is sort of the same maybe a little bit different but the same kind of general vibe you know that you got there you you're very welcomed people are very open-minded people are very interested in who you are you're coming abroad maybe and they they like it that you want to learn the language of, of the country where you are i mean it also kind of comes i guess from the fact that there is so much of a northern european centric world stage it's like oh my god someone's actually interested in us from a genuine point of view well i think actually the the northern european focus is is very much us like we are not very much aware what's happening for example in the south or in east or in in, yeah. in anywhere in the place except for europe or the united states or canada um however the other countries actually do know what's happening in both their own countries and northern europe 
So you would have a lot of Spanish people. Um, well, my friends, for example, they ask me like, so so you're Dutch. However, you don't really look Dutch. And they don't mean that in an offensive way at all. But they would say like, so so what was your heritage a bit? So I'm like, well, my dad is from Suriname. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, we know, like you know, the country north of Brazil. And I'm genuinely surprised because there's yeah. a lot of Dutch people who wouldn't know. No, that's right. And there would, a lot of people would think like, oh, that's in Africa, isn't it? It's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Not no, at all. No, not even close. Exactly. All right, let's get music back into this conversation because um, did you listen to a lot of Spanish, Greek, Italian music? Yes. And so how did did you... Take Mahmoud, for example. Did you already know him before he even represented Italy at the Eurovision Song Contest? No, I actually didn't. So it was thanks to Eurovision that I actually, uh, that I actually got to know him, which is a first. Um, All right. But yeah, it was, uh, my mum was very much a fan of, of European music at that time. My mum is, um, is, uh, is very much into that. And she used to play like, a lot of her songs as well in, 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 in the car. I'm not sure if it's true, but there is this, this idea or this... I don't know if it's if it's real, like academically undescribed or whatever. I mean, this isn't an academic podcast, right, so whatever. <laughs> so I think there is this uh, idea that you get your taste in music from your mom's side, and it's true in my case because my mom's taste in music and mine is almost identical. Right. And I think because my mom made me aware of of let me listen to all these kind of different languages and different songs that I got uh, that I got really much into it. I think that's the reason. All right. So. Um, could you could you name some of your mum's favorite artists that you've got in common with her? <laughs> Because was... when I'm thinking about my mum, I can only think of one, <laughs> which is which Spandau Ballet. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, well, yeah, I think for my mum, it's definitely Julio Iglesias. She really liked him. Right. Um, she likes Mikis Theodorakis, which is a Greek. Uh, yeah, that's doctor. the one who wrote um, who wrote the first song. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, she also likes. Oh, what's his name? Gotsirat, which is also um, a Greek singer, um, and she very much likes uh, Paulo Alboran, which is actually a very much uh, a very modern flamenco pop singer in, uh, in Spain right. as well. So, what do you do? You have any opinions about you know more and more Spanish or Spanish-speaking artists making it into into the pop scene? Like Latin has never been bigger. True, true, and I'm very much applaud that. Um, I, I I like the the change, you know. Like right, it's, yeah. it's it's nice because you've got a very inclusive um, environment. Although I do think that we have to be careful not to fetishize it in a way. All right, that makes sense. You know, yeah. Because I think it's nice, and I think it's nice that we we have a lot of songs which are like very much uh, bilingual. Um, but I do always strikes me that a lot of the songs are very much about sex, which actually also goes obviously for the English ones. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I I think that we sort of have to keep in mind. All right. Not everybody is like looking for sex when you're singing in Spanish. Yeah, no, that's definitely right. <laughs> you know, um, I do, I do very much. I uh, was very much entertained the other day. Um, um, a little while back, the some kind of Spotify award thing happened. Yeah, and the entire music industry, well, at least the the people I follow on Twitter, those were all surprised. Like it wasn't in London, it wasn't in New York, it wasn't in Stockholm because Sweden's uh, because Spotify's from Sweden. No, it was in Mexico City. And yeah. you're like, why the f was it over there? Well, it makes well, sense if you think it, about it. It does it, make it? sense yeah. because you know all of those Latin artists, like when we're thinking, thinking about um, Louis Fonsi, J Balvin, the entire yeah, all of those artists are kind of the ones that made Spotify big, innit? Exactly, no. I, I also like that um, it actually continues the, the the thought when Spotify first launched because it's total anarchy. Exactly. Like, people just... <laughs> 
go and listen to a song and then there, and there is no machinery of, of of industry professionals trying to trying to contain and channel it all into their direction yeah exactly and i very much like it as well as like they i feel like spotify when it's when you have like your your radio um parts you know and you can sort of play and then spotify chooses songs that sort of fall in line with your taste yeah, yeah, yeah. of music but sometimes are completely from different places of the world and i think that's lovely because you get to discover so much you know let's 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 ponder this few for a few minutes and yeah, yeah, get and get our best live uh experience going on we've had some old tracks on here we've had some old recordings um but we've we've never had a song from the 19th century on here <laughs> Yeah, it's called Vapensiero. I'm pronouncing it. Vapensiero, very good. All right, Giuseppe Verdi. Back at a different part of the Mediterranean there, um, a song also known as the Chorus of the Hebrew Slaves. Um, I think it was written from the perspective of the Babylonian Emperor Nebuchadnezzar. So we're talking Babylonian Empire. Yes. Um, because we haven't talked about history enough. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, all the way uh, from the uh, from the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean, Syria. Um, I'm not entirely sure where I want to go with this. Um, I think the title is loosely translated "Fly My Thoughts." Yeah, yeah, you could say that because it's mean. I mean, in this, um, it's part of the opera Nabucco, and in this specific scene, um, the the Jews. Are um, are captured by 
the first unofficial daughter, I think, of Nabucco, if I remember correctly. Right. And um, and they sort of they sing their song as sort of, of of their dreams, you know, like of their thoughts, and and they really can't do anything anymore at this at this point. Um, and it's sort of this melancholy feeling of you know remember the the country where we came from or remember this this land you know and at some point they also say um they they speak about the patria perduta so like their lost uh their lost patria like the lost oh, yeah, you, the, fatherland well, that's yeah it. what's it called um i'm not entirely sure like patriot um, patriot well it, 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 you know what it, I mean. It, it comes from the same word as 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 uh, patriotism, I guess. Yes. So uh, from that from that perspective, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of, and I was I was just very much intrigued by when this song was written. Mm-hmm. Um, 1842, yes. which kind of surprised me because a song from a Hebrew perspective. By, to my knowledge, not a Jewish man, mm-hmm. um, in an era where anti-Semitism was still very much normalized. Yes, um, I think one of the reasons why it's so intriguing is that this particular song. Well, we have to go back to Italy in that area as well. In that era as well, um, Italy was uh, was not a unified country. Uh, if I'm correct at the time, um, I think you're correct. Already. I think they it it was like 20 years before it unified, yeah. um, and the ruling uh, monarchy at that time, especially in the north, was the monarchy that we talked about earlier, which was the Habsburg. Um, they they controlled large parts of of the northern of Italy, and uh, the Italian at some points they felt, if I remember everything correctly, they felt very much like they didn't really have any say about their country, like stuff were being changed or laws that they didn't really agree with the taxes, um, and they felt very much identified with the song because it's it sings about the country that they used to have or the country that they aspired to be, yet what the country that they faced with at the time was not at all what they imagined themselves, especially mm-hmm. in this region of, of Veneto. I mean, it's also called the second uh, national anthem of Italy. Oh, uh, really? It's, yeah, yeah. It's a very, it's a very patriotic, well, not patriotic song, but it's a very, a song a lot of Italian people identify with. Right. So why did you pick this track? It, I've always wanted to go to the opera because I had never been. And uh, I was following Italian courses as well. And I thought like, you know what? This is the opportunity. I have to go. I have to see yeah. uh, and watch Nabucco. And I think because this was one of the, like one the the on stage performance I've ever seen because it was so powerful, and um, the cast was Russian. The, the the way of singing and it was just very magical, but not in a, in a childish way. You know, it was very real and it was very very raw, but also in a strange way. I would go for the word cretaceous, you know, mm-hmm. because it was drama in a certain setting and in a certain way, and it was it was not chaotic. It was obviously staged, but it was literally a form of art, and that was very, for me, very intriguing. Like I never had, I never saw anything like that before in my life. Why did you want to go to the opera in in the first place? Like what what um, what intrigued you to go there? Um, I think that art in general, and especially with music, it allows you to experience something from a very personal point of view, even though you were never there, or mm-hmm. even though you never really had the real life experience. Um, but you can sort of imagine, just like stories and books. And I think that the opera for me was something I was very curious to because I would I wanted to have that experience to to feel what it 
to know what it feels like to be engaged in that way with with the cast you know even though you're just sitting there you're just absorbing and you're you're seeing how they put the story together and how they're doing it and i thought that was something that i really wanted to see that kind of sounds like you're describing it in a more more personal and more intense version of television yeah i think you could say that like it's a very good story and you know how you sometimes have these films that you thought like oh this really got me thinking or this really is something that i feel adds something valuable to to who i am as a person or to to me in general um but yeah it very much is it very much is and it's right. a very ancient form of art and i thought like oh i just i just really wanted to wanted to experience that right so um is that just with all type of stage performances or is that just with opera um with opera in particular because i i love architecture in general as well and i also saw like the the huge theaters that i used to build you know especially in italy right. and in and in uh and in madrid as well and on a on another level as well that sort of ancient form of art that i really like is well, ancient not but old more yeah. um traditional form of art as well um i just think it's intriguing Right. So it's very much opera specific then. It's would yeah. it's it's not like you would have a same intense experience with say um a more modern day musical or uh general theater. No, I think uh I think I would it would be different because I would feel that it is more um to be, for you to be entertained, you know, um in a very happy and in a very positive way. And I also think like You no know, negative emotions are very much part of everyday life as well and i think it's nice to also see something which is actually dramatic you know like you have to think like look what's happening there you know right um and not in a sort of attention seeking way that sometimes um i think musicals can be for example i i, I don't think that this is something that's exclusive to opera though because if you would go to a punk show it's also very much politicized it's going kind to of very intense and not just for entertainment purposes but also to get a message out there. Yeah, that is very true. I think but this again like this is something very authentic, you know, it's something that I think Oh, that's definitely true. the group, you know, wants wants their audience to know, wants this this kind of message that they want to they want to give you. While I think that there is also a lot of work which is less authentic and sort of is more there for the market, you know, like just right, yeah. they want to sell their product, which is nice. Obviously, I mean, if you if if it were a story that would that I would like I would definitely go. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that I feel I sometimes dream of going to, you know, or I, I really want to for the experience. Right. It just doesn't experience it, it just doesn't um appeal to you in the same way. No, I think it's a little bit the difference in story or in in production when you make this when you make the the choice of going to to the cinema to actually look at the movie, watch the fo- the film in that setting or if you just watch it at home. Right, yeah. You know? And sometimes it's worth to actually go to the cinema and watch it and it's like huge area and like popcorn and yeah. and, and and the surrounding and, and the music. How about other other life experiences? How about concerts, musicals? Mm, I haven't been that much too specific. Uh yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh to concerts itself. I know that I was once um uh, at a wine festival in Greece there was um there were some national singers who were who were from them as well. Um to be honest I'd love to go more often to to concerts and stuff like that. It's just like I have a very particular music taste I feel and people in my surroundings don't not really uh, inclined to like go there as well, you know. Yeah, I mean I can very much imagine that it, you can't just, you know, walk into a, 
a random uh, random pop venue and you'll have the bazooki boys playing yeah exactly <laughs> uh, i think it's it's you sort of have to find someone who's in the mood for that as well yeah you know Tying on to a little bit here that um, we've had songs in two different languages. Neither of them are your native language. Yes. Uh, also, none of them are English. Yes. Is that a deliberate choice? Um, not really. Uh, it's just that, um, you know, like, I mean, for me personally, there's obviously already there a fascination for Spanish and like Latin languages and Greek. Um, and for me... English very much because I mean we get we get taught English when we were, since I don't know yeah maybe you know forever yeah um, so we're exposed to the language all of the time through all of the media we consume exactly and I mean that happens since you're you were born eventually so I I don't really think that English is some yeah I'm just less interested because it already feels very much mine you know and it already feels right. very much I very much relate to that already and I had this this year in which I was um in which I was studying to become an English teacher as well and I thought that I sort of done that already yeah you know which is quite weird because you can never really have seen everything in a culture <laughs> that's not possible but uh, I don't know like at some point my my focus just shifted yeah but still um I mean none of the people I had on speak English well f- except for one speak English as a native language and um, but it's not like they actually went went down the way and picked songs in different languages. Yeah, mm. I mean, this is apparently enough of your personal interest, and maybe your 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 not to put you on blast, but maybe your <laughs> personal identity that you haven't picked any English uh, English tunes. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. I think it, it actually does really have to do with who how I see myself. Um, it's a very particular interest, so I'm just kind of yeah. trying to... I think it also has to do maybe on a, on a different level with my study as well, because I, I studied, you know, like Spanish, Italian and, and Greek it's in, in university, and I think that um, this is sort of... My music is sort of an ex- extension of that, or like maybe they're extensions of, of both of each other, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they complement each other. Whereas with English, English is a more a more general language i feel like i mean it's something that i use every day it's not something that i use i mean i mean yeah. i can speak spanish here to people in in the street but that nobody's going to understand what i'm saying exactly you know? exactly what i'm or like some erasmus students um yet english i can use every time and i can use it every everywhere here at least in the netherlands you know so it doesn't really i'm not really focused on it that much let's say that like that i mean it also definitely comes from what we talked about earlier like a lot of um anglo-saxon centrism yeah and, exactly and you know british colonialism with you know the fact that we both speak english but only one of us speaks spanish kind of proves that yeah and i also think that um you know i'm I'm already used to hearing english language music you know and and i do like it obviously but um i'm i'm sort of actively looking for different kinds of, of language of different kind of music um right. and and with that comes the language which also changes then um i think we're going to move on to the last track of the day here like i spoiled a little bit earlier once again this is not an english uh it's not a, it's not a song with english lyrics uh although there are a lot of versions of this we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs>
La uh, revolución sexual, la Casa Azul. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a perfect segue into something we've completely missed. <laughs> like, um, we've talked about history, we've talked about politics, we've talked about opera, we've talked about everything except for that sweet, sweet gay content. <laughs> um, let's make this podcast queer again, shall we? All yours. Well, no, all yours. Uh, identify as a, as a gay man. All right. Yeah. How did that come about? How did? What was your journey? Ah, oh, my journey. Um, I think I realized that I like guys when um, when I was in high school, and I sort of yeah. All right. So there was a guy who was always sitting next to me, or well, usually sitting next to me. And at some point, I uh, we became friends. Like we were talking and talking to each other to each other way more. And at some point, I sort of caught myself getting a little bit annoyed when he was talking to the guy on the other side yeah. um, and that happened more frequently and at some point I was like why why isn't he completely giving me the attention um, and then at some point uh, like we were very well not very very close but I mean we did hug each other when we saw each other and stuff like right. that and I realized like oh, oh I actually like this maybe more than I am supposed to as a guy um, and eventually like, I did develop feelings for him and um And I thought like, oh, wait, wait, does that, I suppose that I'm, then I, I like guys then. Um, which didn't make me exclude that I like girls. But I, I realized that, all right, so something is happening here. Um, uh, I was lucky enough to actually got the opportunity to tell him. Right. So I told him, I was like, hey, listen. Uh, actually, that must have taken some courage. It did, but I f it felt like something I could do. And it, it also felt something as a way to... As a way to cope with it, you know, because I right, mean, yeah. I, I I do very much um, get it out of your system. Exactly, and um, and maybe I'm a bit bold sometimes as well. I just wanted to tell him, see what happens. Oh wow! <laughs> um, I mean, I did see if he if he was open minded in in general, like if he would have a weird reaction. But he was he was. I mean, I knew him quite well. Um, so I told him, and he he actually said like, you know what, that's right. I just. Like I mean, I fancy I fancy girls, but we can still be friends. Like nothing, nothing changes, right? Which was a very lovely response from him, and um, very respectful. Yes, exactly. And I think that that was one of the best experiences ever, um, which made me feel quite secure. You know, like in my sexuality, like I I feel like I can I can take some risks sometimes. You know, um, especially because in that in that in the beginning, you know, it's kind of you sort of have to reevaluate everything that you're doing and everything that you've been taught. Mm -hmm. um, But for me, it went quite well, and I'm very lucky for that. That does very much sound yeah. like it's it's not even an issue that it, it it feels like it's that this is also part of the reason why we've barely touched upon this entire conversation because you were taken by surprise, tackled it right away, moved on from there in the same and and, and moved on to other interests and, and and different aspects of your life, such as yeah. history and politics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I never really got to um, like. I mean, I also come from a family like my mom and dad always told me like, "Hey, I mean, whenever you get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you know, they didn't really make an issue of it, but they did make me aware that I that it could be both it would have been an option." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which which made me realize, all right, so it's gonna be boys instead of girls, or it's gonna be both. But until no. until now, we're, or neither. We're, yeah, exactly, or neither. Um, but my parents very much gave me awareness, like they made me aware of the fact that that was possible. Um, whereas I imagine that if if you don't imagine that 
to be a possibility, then you sort of have to reevaluate everything that you're doing. You know, you sort of have to, all right, so what, what does this eventually mean for me as mm -hmm. a person, but for me as as a social being, you know? So actually, eventually like that went all well. And um, yeah, I, I was very lucky that I never really had a very negative response. So, you know, I, I feel very privileged in that, um, which is both a very sad comment mm -hmm. um, because that means that there's a lot of people who actually don't have that, same experience you know like right, the fact that yeah. i'm saying the word privilege is is ridiculous in fact but it, yeah, it's it kind of puts a perspective on it exactly yeah it puts it in perspective but i'm also just too entertained by the fact that even with um with this track managed to get another historical reference in it yeah <laughs> uh this is just too fantastic this is just kind of so full circle isn't it? I think I think it's perfect. Also because we started out talking about Spain and here we go ending the podcast with a Spanish track. Exactly. It's just too entertaining. <laughs> um, but to wrap it all up, what would you think, um, how representative were these tracks for your general music taste altogether? Oh, I think very representative. Oh, I think right. very representative. So uh, how yeah. does your music taste reflect your queerness? My music depends very much on my mood and... It, Obviously, that makes sense, I suppose. But um, I think that I don't... Yeah, maybe that's it. Like, I don't really care so much what other people think that I that is popular or what I should listen to. I like I very much make up my own mind about what I'd like to listen to. Um, and I think that I do that in general with, with life. You know, like, I, I make my own decisions and obviously I'll think about what other people might think about it, but it would never be so much a reason to change my mind. Right. You know? Um, so, like, one of the... One of the words I've used before, like the authenticity of, I think, my music taste um, is also reflected in a way that I decide my own identity. And even though I am a social being and it depends also on other people, I will take the lead in what I think represents me. And I will take the lead in how I think that I should conduct myself or all or, or my liberties and my, and my limits, you know. And I think that we should we should be able to all do that, you know. With that... Um... We've been queer sounds. Uh, this is a heavy one. I, I, I can understand that. There's a lot of history here. Um, maybe I should consider rebranding from a queer music podcast to just a political history podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, nah. Way too fun to keep on playing music. <laughs> yeah, this has been Queer Sounds. Uh, if you want to support us, go to buymeacoffee.com slash queersounds. Um, if you want to get in touch, follow the podcast at queersoundspot on Twitter, queersoundspot.tumblr.com, email at queersoundspot at gmail.com. Um, I want to thank Kirk from New Jersey for supporting the show, and I th thank you all for listening. 